HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, and my co-host, Katie Mosman-Wadler, is out this week because because she's getting married. So congrats to Katie. Uh, All of us at HRN send our best wishes to you this weekend. Um, But Katie may not be here, but I've got the rest of the crew with me on the season finale of HRN Happy Hour. Um, I'm going to switch it up this week, and I'm going to introduce our engineer, David Tadashore, first. What's up, David? Oh, hey. Oh, wow. What a great audience. How are <laughs> you guys doing? They love you. They love you. Um, and I am also joined in the studio by our membership coordinator, Hannah Forden. Happy Thursday, everybody. <laughs> and our Julia Child fellow, Jordan Werner. Hey, hey, hey. We are so excited about our guest this week. Helen Hollyman is the editor-in-chief of Vice's food channel, Munchies. And if you're a longtime listener, you may know her as the host of You Look Hungry, which was here on HRN about four or five years ago. Uh, welcome back, Helen. It is so great to have you in the studio again. Thank you so much. It's good to be home. <laughs> uh, we are going to hear more about your past life as a truffle dealer. Um, your experience working with legends like Mark Fitman and Christina Tosi, and uh, what's new at Munchies. Let's do it later. Uh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, but first, as always, we're on to HRN headlines. So, can you still power lunch like it's 1959, and should you even want to? This week on Recommended Reading, Kim and Amanda welcome the inimitable Joshua David Stein to talk about The Grill, the Teresi Carbone Four Seasons reboot. And if you're tired of seamless and caviar, listen to this week's Feast Your Ears. Author Louise Harper talked about Single Serve, her book that covers how to plan meals and make delicious recipes for in only 20 minutes. 
why food took us deeper into the history and aesthetic of Tim and Nancy Cushman's Oh Yeah restaurant. They reflected on the other four hotspots of Cushman Concepts and their careers in music and advertising. And the food scene was on hiatus this week, but there are two shows where you can get your weekly dose of Michael Harlan Turkel. He was a guest on both Eat Your Words and A Taste of the Past, sharing stories from the making of his new book, Acid Trip, Travels in the World of Vinegar. All in the Industry had Jason Wright of J. Wright Design to discuss the influence of graphic and web design in restaurants and hospitality. After that, Shelley Minaj of the James Beard Foundation joined the show to talk about the annual Chefs and Champagne event. And last week, Radio Cherry Bomb paid tribute to the legendary Judith Jones with Sarah Franklin, Julia Moskin, Madhur Joffrey, Lydia Bastianich, and Joan Nathan. Judith discovered The Diary of uh, a Young Girl by Anne Frank and later went on to edit, shape, and champion the likes of Julia Child and Marcella Hazan. Her legacy stand strong forever and we will all miss her in the food industry yes that was from last week's um radio cherry bomb so make sure you check that one out that was a great episode all right that is our head headlines roundup um i have a couple other announcements uh pretty big news this week we found out that hrn and two of our shows um were nominated for tasty awards yay we we were nominated in the nonprofit category, and speaking broadly with Dana Cowan was nominated in radio and podcast, and then Cherry Bomb was nominated in the zine category, but we're going to claim that one since they're part of the family as well. Um, these awards are the highest honors for creators, producers, hosts, and directors in the fields of food, fashion, travel, and lifestyle. We're so excited, so make sure you go to awards.tastetalks.com and vote for us and for Speaking Broadly and for Cherry Bomb. Yeah. And then the other announcement is, as I mentioned earlier, this is our season finale. This week is all season finales for our shows. We will be on hiatus until September 7th. So if you aren't getting your favorite shows in your feed, that is why we'll be away for a few weeks. All right. That's all the announcements I've got. So now I want to talk more to Helen. (laughs) So, Helen, tell us a little bit about your just journey through the world of food. Um, How did you first get involved in the food business, and what attracted you to writing and editing about food? Wow. Um, Such a great question. Well, first of all, I just want to say, you all have really nice radio voices. (laughs) Wow. Thank (laughs) you so much. I don't say that often. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I just want to say that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, how did I get into food? Well, It's a long story. The short version is I went to art school. I came out. I was making art for other artists and not really happy with it. I had always loved food. I grew up watching food shows and things like that. And, uh, you know, in my early 20s, I was in New York and I started working in restaurants. But I loved writing. And so I kind of started to do both at the same time like a crazy person. So I would work like 14 hour shifts in a restaurant and then I would go home and I would write articles. And over time, I just kept extending my knowledge into different facets of the industry. And, um, you know, I did all kinds of weird jobs from truffle dealing to 
what else? Like transcribing this man's novel, which I don't think was ever published and shouldn't be published. Um, it was kind of erotica, but um, cool. But yeah, and then eventually, you know, more details later. Yeah, yeah, that's for the the late night show. But uh, yeah, you know, I worked for people like Mark Bittman at the New York Times. I've helped write cookbooks. Uh, I had this radio show that I used to do at HRN, which was so fun and awesome. Um, yeah, and then one day, you know, Vice Media found me and they kind of looked at me and they were like, you're really weird. And we like that about you because you do a lot of different things. And, and that's kind of the cliff notes version. So awesome. Well, tell me more about being a truffle dealer. What does that entail? (laughs) So I actually did an episode for heritage radio that was with my former boss who at the time was 19. Um, I was Wait, in my, what was his name? His name's Ian Perkaisa. I met him in Charleston. Oh. He's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's very smart, very talented. Uh, essentially, I was looking for a part-time job because I was writing almost full-time, but financially I needed extra cash. And I got really tired of waiting tables because it's it's really hard, you know? And I also was really bad at it. So... I was looking through classifieds and I found this advertisement that said, looking for truffle dealer slash sorter. When I clicked on the description, it was like somebody who can sort through smelly truffles all day (laughs) and sell them well. So I called up this phone number and I was like, hey, is this still available? And the voice on the other line was like, "Uh uh-huh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) So I went to Hoboken, New Jersey, and I walked into this what looked like an abandoned building and there were all these people running up and down the stairs and I was like are you guys okay (laughs) and I realized it was a crossfit and next to the crossfit was this truffle office and when the door opened it was a 19 year old boy and Mm -hmm. he was like hi I'm ready to interview you and so yeah we worked together for about five years I learned a lot I sold a lot of truffles and uh yeah, I smelled up a lot of subway cars. So <laughs> That's awesome. And Ian, I believe, is from Arkansas. Yes. And you're from Texas. Yes. So did you guys bond over, like, that region <laughs> at all? Yeah, we were definitely kind of like the Southerners in New York who pretended to be Yankees, um, which helped with our sales a lot. But, yeah, he is really amazing. He's from Fayetteville. Uh, he's a forager. He taught me a lot about how to find sassafras and all kinds of wild mushrooms and things like that which he did back home in Arkansas. And, um, yeah, he's great. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell me a little bit about your blog. You look hungry, which is also the name of your HRN show. Yeah. Where did that all get started? Oh man. I'm like, if we should pour some out for that blog, it's been a long time <laughs> since I actually put anything on it, but yeah, I basically started a, a blog years ago and it was kind of an amalgamation of essentially what munchies is now. Um, you know, when I was in my mid twenties, food media at the time wasn't really, I think what it is today, which is that we're in a space and time where food and culture and community are colliding in all of our stories that we're telling. But back then it was a lot more recipe driven, a lot more restaurant and chef driven. And of course that's still happening. But, um, you know, I was trying to find ways to connect people who weren't in food into food. So, you know, there was one time on the website as well as on Heritage Radio where, like, we got a phone call here and 
uh, Jack, who was my producer at the time, said, Manny Fresh is on the phone. <laughs> so we talked to Manny Fresh about, you know, post-Katrina New Orleans, why New Orleans hip-hop culture is very different today versus the 90s. And then we, of course, talked about food, where he likes to go out at night and things like that. So... You know, did over, you know him before? I did actually. Okay. Yeah. So I lived in New Orleans for a long time, and um, I've had a lot of people on the radio show, like Big Frida, um, a lot of musical artists, a lot of visual artists. Julia Ziegler Haynes, who is a chef, she had a private supper club, but she also did this beautiful book on um, death row meals. So she would recreate um, death row inmates' last meals. And, um, yeah, I interviewed a truffle dog trainer who's, like, trying to convince people that you can teach a chihuahua how to find truffles in the <laughs> Northwest, which, of course, the Italians are like, this lady's crazy, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, it really runs the gambit, and I think that's the thing about food that's super exciting to me now in 2017 is food is universal, but we're finding even more platforms and ways to make it more approachable to many audiences as opposed to like a foodie audience. So now that you're, how long have you been at Vice? I have been at Vice for four years. So okay. I was hired, we basically had a show on vice.com called, uh, well, at the time it was called Munchies. We had to retitle it Chef's Night Out because we launched our website called Munchies. So mm -hmm. we have two amazing executive producers who had developed that show and a bunch of different video ideas, and they were looking for somebody to launch a website, so they found me. So I've been there since kind of the seedling of what our site is, and I have been pleased to kind of watch it grow, and we're now in 10 countries um, and we're launching three more this year. So it's pretty wild to sort of see how our brand is perceived and embraced in different countries because it's it's different. Now, when you say you're launching in more countries, does that mean you have like uh, writers based there for specifically Munchies? Yes, we actually have um, 10 editors nationally wow. or sorry, wow. internationally. Um, so, yeah, we're we're launching in Italy in September, which I'm super excited about because I don't know about you guys, but I love Italy. I love Italian food, especially pasta. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's pretty wild because we have, you know, our audience is very millennial focused and we get emails and handwritten letters from kids in you know, Chiang Mai and Japan and uh, Mexico City, and it runs the gambit. But I think what's cool is is learning about what they're gravitating to, and um, it all depends. What do you look for when you're finding an editor in a d different country? Somebody that you want to get drunk with. Because <laughs> cool. I mean that sincerely in that somebody who can actually carry on a conversation over a long span of time. And I think, you know, what's true of all of our editors is everyone's not just one dimensional in the food medium. They all have very different interests across culture. And I think that's what makes it so engaging is that we're covering so many different topics, whether it's like, you know, politics, music, film, celebrities, restaurants, et cetera. And um, I think that's what keeps it really interesting for us. And looking back towards Brooklyn, what's the day in, in the life of Helen Holliman like at Vice? Oh, man. Well, today I had two iced coffees, which was a very bad idea. But it's, <laughs> it's usually very busy. Uh, we have right now, uh, we're in, you know, obviously it's summer. 
we're very lucky. We have a beautiful rooftop garden that is literally the best thing about working advice, in my opinion, because it's the munchies garden. So we get to go out there, harvest a bunch of produce. I curate what we grow out there. So we have a lot of really interesting things like we're growing Oaxacan green corn um, for different chefs and things like that. And then, um, yeah, my morning starts pretty early because I check in on my international teams, kind of troubleshoot with them on things that they're coming across, breaking news, things of that nature, stories that we need to translate into English or vice versa, um, back into their language. And then, yeah, we kind of start the day. We were always, uh, looking ahead right now. We're really looking to the holiday season and, you know, I can't believe we're even thinking about Thanksgiving, but we are mm-hmm. and the new year. And, um, I've been working on, we have a new cookbook coming out that is coming out October 29th. It's called Munchies Late Night Meals from the World's Best Chefs. Um, so super excited about that. It's all of the meals from our show, Chef's Night Out. So we're gearing up for a big push of that this fall, going on book tour. So lots of busy things in the can coming down the pipe. Well, I want to hear more about the Munchies Garden, but we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hear more from Helen Holliman, the editor of Vice Munchies. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollux scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. All right. Welcome back to HR and Happy Hour. I'm Kat Johnson. I'm here with Hannah Forden and Jordan Werner. And our guest today is Helen Holliman from Vice Munchies. And we were just talking about the Munchies Garden, which, as we're all Brooklynites, um, we are fascinated by urban gardening. And we want to hear more about how... Tell us the genesis of the Munchies Garden, where the idea came from, and what the process of building it was like. So we moved to South Second, uh, I think, two years ago. And, you know, our company is amazing to me because when I started, there were probably 90 employees in the New York office. And then now there's over a thousand in my office alone. And now we have two New York offices. So in that process of moving, we were building a Munchies test kitchen. So when I walked in through the test kitchen space, we had to go out onto this roof space and 
it literally, it was a parking lot because we're in the old Glasslands gallery. Um, we should pour some out for that poor place too. I miss them. I'm sorry. Uh, but long story short, if you looked on Google maps, like Google earth, and you looked at that building space, you could see that they were parking very heavy cars on that roof. And, in the corner was this jacuzzi, and there were two security guards in the jacuzzi on the Google Earth image. <laughs> so I was like, all right, so they can handle a lot of weight in here. So I And was, a lot of parties, apparently. Well, exactly. Uh, or some kind of party. <laughs> Something's <laughs> happening. Yeah. So I was speaking with our chief of staff, and I kind of looked at him, and I said, hey, like, do you think maybe I could just put a garden out here? I'll put a couple plants, like, just you know, maybe we could talk to Brooklyn Grange. And he was like, okay, yeah, okay, fine, let's do it. So then it became this incredible project, which was that Brooklyn Grange came in and said, oh, yeah. And we brainstormed, we came up with a plan, and it's really lovely because it's sort of a, you know, imagine a gigantic parking lot. And when you walk out onto the roof, the first half looks very wild. It looks very unkept and beautiful and it's intentionally made that way so that we have tons of wild edibles growing throughout it so that when chefs come they can actually go into that section and feel like they're in nature because <laughs> you know we're in Brooklyn it's <laughs> when you see a leaf on the ground I feel like people get very excited to see nature and uh, the other half is all um, you know curated so we have a show with Mario Batali. It's called Moltissimo. And the whole premise is it's essentially like Molto Mario Part 2, but he's talking to really interesting vice people and, and characters. And each episode, he actually goes out into the garden and he picks produce from the garden. So every year I sit with the Brooklyn Grange farmer that we work with. This year it's Ashley. And I, poor thing, I give her basically a three page email of like, here's all the varietals and you know, of this and that, that I really want. And then she'll look at me and be like, all right, you need to calm down. <laughs> We're going to pick like a tiny portion of this and then we'll do it. But I, before I do that and before we make the final decisions, I actually send an email out to chefs and I say, Hey, like, what do you guys need this year? So the Oaxacan corn thing came from Enrique Olvera because he's like, well, you guys can actually grow corn here. And what would happen if we could actually use like fresh heirloom varietals? So we invite people to come and to do what we call like a lab so they can take the ingredients and do whatever they want with it. And we have our test kitchen team, which can also help aid that process along. And um, we also have an herb garden that's for bartenders. So lots of botanicals like we have wormwood because we're making absinthe. We have every kind of delicious thing like anise hyssop and things of that nature. So we make a lot of our own fernet, uh, amaros, whiskey, moonshine. <laughs> Basically, we make a lot of alcohol. And, um, you know, it's just been it's you know, I don't know of another test kitchen in the world that has what we have. So we feel super lucky and and want to make it the Willy Wonka factory for the restaurant industry. <laughs> so I've, I've seen the uh, Mario Batali segment where he, I love that, where he goes out in the garden and he, and then he cooks for whatever interesting people are on that episode. What are some other ways that you're seeing ingredients from the garden on vice.com on munchies? 
How else are you using them? So we have a column. It's called Dirty Work, and it's quite literally that. We essentially invite chefs to come and make whatever the hell they want. And it's been really interesting because I think, you know, a lot of my own, I'm very much a gardener. And I think through being a truffle dealer, like the way that I would sell successfully to chefs was earning their trust and saying, cool, you're not going to buy this $3,000 truffle for me this week. Well, what do you need? And becoming a dealer to them. So they would look at me and say, well, I need fresh yarrow. I need, you know, anisysip. I need this or that. And so through that process, I noticed and learned that, you know, special ingredients, because chefs don't always get the opportunity to work with them consistently, I don't want to call it like a, a blind spot or a vulnerable spot for them, but it is like an interesting moment to watch because you can see them kind of sometimes stumble through it and like trying to understand a product and working through it. And that to me is like the most exciting part of creativity as a chef. And so that's what we see when they come and make stuff. Cause a lot of the time I'm not going to name names, but I've seen a lot of chefs come who will be like, Oh, this is going to sound great. Like it's going to be so good. And they'll pick a lot of things, put it together. And they're like, I've never made this before. And it tastes terrible at first and then they'll adjust it. And then it becomes something really awesome. And there's people who come in and do something so simple that you think, Oh, that looks boring. And it is the most sublime experience because it's literally been picked right then and there. And it's something that you wouldn't have thought of on your own. So, you know, it's again, it's it's a really fun thing because it's almost like our own quick fire challenge for people when they, when they swing by our headquarters. And you also have a lot of other you know, media people, press people come by and see the garden. Um, is it in high demand for people to come by and just drop in and, and want to check it out? It, it's pretty entertaining to watch the things that happen on the roof garden because, you know, we have a lot of staff at Vice and, you know, it's it's the most beautiful oasis at our office. So you'll see a lot of different celebrities walking through on the roof. Some of them like to take selfies. Some of them randomly pick things like I caught a celebrity eating a raspberry. <laughs> I didn't say anything, but I was like, cool. I'm glad they felt comfortable enough to identify that and eat it. Um, you know, yeah, it, it runs the gambit, but, um, we do, we shoot a lot of video on the roof as well. So throughout, you know, different pieces of content, whether it's our TV channel, Viceland, you'll see a lot of people doing kind of what we call standups where they're talking mm -hmm. to the camera, you know, from the roof and it overlooks Manhattan, which is really beautiful. Um, but yeah. I still haven't seen anyone camp out on the roof, which I'm bummed because I feel like that's something that we need to like cross off the list of experiences. We can so. probably take care yeah. of that for you. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. We'll have a sleepover. Awesome. Have that some volunteers. Great. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Don't they do like a, they do a camping in Central Park thing? Maybe you just like <laughs> that might be a little bit too like organized for Vice. I kind of want to invite a bunch of preppers and be like, have fun for the next 48 <laughs> hours. Like, what would you guys do out here? You know, we, we need some survivalists in the mix these days. So, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you can find some in Brooklyn somewhere. <laughs> put the put the word out. Um, OK, so I have a couple more questions for you. 
So some headlines that we've we found on Munchies are oh uh, why why Iran why Iran is turning onions into jewelry, um, moose meat marinade with Tom beers, <laughs> um, and explanations of food trends like Red Bull infused sausages. So it looks like you guys are pretty creative and have a lot of fun. Um, what kind of things along those lines do you get excited about or, or that fascinate you? <laughs> Those are some of the more bizarre things we've covered lately. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it really depends. It runs the gambit. I mean, that stuff is great. That's kind of like from our news desk. Uh, there's a lot. It, the Iranian piece is really interesting because it is becoming a political statement. Uh, Iranians are literally taking fresh onions and like putting them on uh, on their jewelry as mm-hmm. a political statement in a reaction to their government. And then this British guy was like this butcher decided to infuse Red Bull and vodka into his sausage because I guess he thought that would sound great. But, you know, we work on a lot of different things. We have, you know, a culture editor who is very funny and smart and we're all about, we just had a meeting today to discuss kind of the roadmap of what we have in store for big features coming up. We have more serious stuff. We do a lot of food politics features. Um, We love to do profiles of people but in a way that is who is the person behind this thing or what's the side of this person that you don't know. We did a profile of Diana Kennedy, you know, who's been written about thousands of times. And also she's a pistol. If you write about her incorrectly, she will write a rebuttal. And, you know, that was a really challenging thing because it was like, Oh my God, this is the queen of Mexican cuisine in so many ways. And if I, if she heard me say that right now, she would probably shoot me in the face, but it was a story essentially about, it was, it was a really true look at who she is, um, beyond the way the food world tends to frame her. And I think that's kind of our constant challenge is the vice audience is an audience that cares a lot about multiple things and multiple ways of receiving their medium. So people like to watch videos. They like to read things. They like to listen to things. And, you know, the way I always talk about it is it's essentially like the greatest dinner party where a Hell's Angels biker, Renee Redzepi, my mom and us could all sit together. And Munchies is basically like you walking in and eavesdropping on the conversations between those people because everyone eats and everyone has a very different perspective on what they connect to. So. So we've definitely seen in the past, I don't know, maybe decade where food is becoming so much more part of mainstream culture, pop culture. Um, Do you think that that is always a positive thing? Um, Or do you think that there might be some, you know, negative aspects to it as well? Or is it just good that we're all talking about food and we're all bonding over it, period? I think... The internet, you know, thank you, Al Gore, for inventing the internet, (laughs) you know, Uh, you know, ever since it started, it's been a really interesting thing to watch because you think about something like the Arab Spring and had it not been for Twitter, like, would that have happened in the same way? That was a really amazing technological moment. And then you think about things like Periscope or Facebook and how, you know, most of the world is connected digitally at this point and you know facebook is trying to like put internet everywhere i don't know if you've heard about this but you know when you think about that 
it provides it democratizes the world in a way it provides a platform but it it's there's always good and bad to that and i think in regards to food there's a rise of the instagram influencer i think that's something that is can be troubling mm-hmm. um and i think we've we've seen a lot of articles and discussions around like you know what's the meaning of a restaurant critic today like is there importance compared to 10 years ago and everyone has an opinion about food and people are putting up Instagram pictures of their food and you're instantly a foodie. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, ultimately I think the conversation that is happening is great in that there's bringing more awareness, this idea of like farm to table, Alice waters, like we wouldn't be where we are today without somebody like her. And to think about the generation (laughs) that she's created to me is really exciting because it means that, what I find a lot is young people more than ever are so smart and so resourceful and, and so encouraging for our future. And my hope is that food 20 years from now is going to be in a really different place in a good way. Mm-hmm. So I want to look on the bright side. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I hope that food can maybe bring us together in a way that maybe technology has pulled us apart in some ways. Totally. Let's I mean, put down phones and like have a meal <laughs> together, you know? Yeah, I mean, I always say, like, food is kind of the last non-downloadable experience for humans. So I think that no matter what, we're always going to have that until we all have Soylent and our robots. No, no, thank you. (laughs) Have you guys tried Soylent? No. Yeah. Foul. I have not. (laughs) It tastes like, um, yeah, it tastes like something... I don't know. I'm like robot not fuel. Comment. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> it tastes like something you would eat in the movie Wall-E, which we were just talking about. Yeah, you're just like on a spaceship. Yeah. yeah. All right, I have one more question for you, Helen, and then we are going to. I, I failed to to brief you on this, but we're going to do a little bit of trivia with you. Oh, great. Yeah, okay. I think it, I think I'll do pretty well. Um, last question: uh, Any upcoming projects at Munchies that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing for us is, again, our cookbook is coming out. I'm super excited about that. Pre-order it. October 29th? Yes. And it it has, I mean, we have literally recipes from 65 of the world's best chefs. It's crazy. And they're really approachable recipes. They're really delicious. You can make them late at night. You can make them in the morning, any time of the day, with your friends, with yourself. But, you know, we have a lot of incredible videos coming out as well. We have a really awesome show. It's called The Pizza Show. Um, Frank Pinello, who owns Best Pizza here over in Williamsburg, hosts the show. And uh, I think if you haven't watched it, you should. And you should order pizza and eat it while you're watching it. Because it is, you will experience FOMO every time (laughs) if you are not sated by the food. So, yeah. Okay, I lied. Last question. Um, (laughs) Because you just mentioned having a new host um, on Munchies. I, I believe that Maddie Matheson is also nominated for a Tasty Award. He is. And he's one of my favorites. I think he's going to be involved in the um, Taste Talks as well. Um, you just have incredible hosts at Vice Thank in the you. food sphere. And how, how do you go about, maybe it's similar to the question of how do you find your editors, but how do you figure out this person is going to be able to talk about food in a way that is going to be, it's going to reach everybody not just people that already like food well we have a really whip smart talented team of 
people who are in our production crew. Uh, Chris Grosso and Lauren Cinnamon are our executive producers, and they are the geniuses behind finding the talent. And, you know, you look at somebody like Frank Pinello or Maddie is just unbelievably great at what he does. And I think kind of the the connective tissue, if you will, is that not only do they have a, a connection to food, but they're really funny people yeah. and they're able to connect with people in these ways that aren't just talking about the food itself. And I think that kind of goes back to my comment about like the drunk, getting drunk with somebody like it's people who can really gab for hours and be able to connect with you on multiple topics as opposed to just, mm, this is such delicious pizza, you know, cause do you want to just watch somebody talk about how tasty something is? Probably not. Yeah. And that's a whole other conversation about how exhausting it is to produce a TV show like that and <laughs> to convince your uh, talent to actually talk for long enough totally. to create a show. Yeah. But kudos. <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful. Okay. So time for trivia. Okay. All right. So we put together, you know, we're, we're in the food and pop culture crossroads here. So we put together a few questions to test your uh, foodie knowledge, for lack of a better word. All right. Nervous. I'm here for phone a friend because okay. I haven't okay, read it. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> awesome. Question number one. Foodies in New York City may attend hip flavor tripping parties that feature what type of fruit? Multiple choice. A, pomegranate, B, miracle fruit, or C, goji berries? Miracle fruit. Correct. <laughs> what is miracle fruit? Do you, do you know what Miracle Fruit So is? we actually did, this This is very true of Munchies. Every time we do a Thanksgiving like photo shoot, it's never like, mm, make that turkey look really good. We were like, how weird can we get? So we actually staged a fake narrative, which was that our entire team flavor tripped Thanksgiving. <laughs> so we did, we like literally purchased all the sour and salty things that you could eat. We drank red wine vinegar. So we like poured it into a wine glass. We did a whole thing. Um, yeah, but it's a fruit. It's from Africa. It's actually really great for cancer patients um, because when you're undergoing chemo, you're trying to motivate yourself to eat anything. It's amazing. You have the fruit and you can eat a pickle and it tastes like sugar. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Same to Africa. It has the magical ability to turn sour into sweet. <laughs> you should all try it. Nailed you, it. You can literally get a pill of it. It's oh, very yeah. fun. I recommend wow. it. I do it. It's all natural. But like, my thing is, like, I like sour. Same. Yeah, same. Yeah, Just leave it how it is. Is there a reverse miracle? <laughs> yeah, that's what I Like, when I have, like, chocolate cake, I'm like, yeah, it's too sweet. Okay. <laughs> I need a reverse miracle berry. <laughs> all right. Um, question number two. This should have been number one. I think this one's pretty easy. The cast iron skillet has certainly become one of the trendier cooking utensils in the kitchen. But how do you properly clean your skillet? Do you A, wash it gently with soap and hot water, B, soak it overnight in water, or C, don't do anything, just scrape out the residue and add more oil, or D, rinse it in hot water and use an abrasive sponge and as little salt as needed? Can I say none of the above? Because You can. I actually don't agree with any of those preparations. All right, how do you... So, Chef Isaac Toops in New Orleans. Love him. He was in Charleston, too. He's the best. He'll tell you... I'm already going to screw this up. But I think what he does is he takes kosher salt and he puts it into the skillet and he basically like gets it super hot with oil and that way it takes all the residue out. But then he goes back in. The key is you have to crank it at a very high temperature to reseal it 
what I do is wrong, but I basically lightly wash it out. Mm -hmm. And then I go back in and I heat the whole thing up after I've wiped it out, Mm -hmm. add oil to reseal it. So I'm sure people who are listening are probably like, she should not have the job she has because she's wrong. But I've seen it done multiple ways. I just think the key is, like, you got to seal the oil every time. That's what we do with ours as well. Yeah, me too. I, yeah. Th- this says that you should never, obviously never use soap. We know that. Um, and that, But that you should rinse it in hot water, use the sponge and salt. But we, we put the oil back on it as well. Yeah. So I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, you want to keep the seasoning. Let's rip these questions up. They're all... Yeah, yeah, we were right. You're right. Okay, question number three. The discipline of molecular gastronomy began with a closer investigation of what classic dish? Do you know? I can give you multiple choice as well. Ooh, this is fun. I mean, are we... How dorky are we going on? Like, Hervé tea or, like... are? I mean, I think you already got it right. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll, okay. I'll give you the cl- the uh, multiple choice: creme brulee, meringues, or souffle. Ooh, I'm gonna. Oh, I'm gonna get this one wrong. I think it's. Wait, you said creme brulee, meringues, or what? Souffle. Oh crap! I mean, I don't. You got. I'm phoning a friend for this because I think. I have no idea, but if we're going like. Like a souffle. Like traditional dorky. That's what I was souffle. thinking. Souffle is yeah. kind of like the standard of like, this is very hard to make. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it hard. You got it right. You yeah. got it right. Oh, Woo! Whew, relief. Thank you. And you got Thank bonus you, points for having Hervé. Like, <laughs> yes. Um, it was confounded by a cheese souffle's precise cooking directions, leading him to pioneer the study of molecular gastronomy. Shout outs to Hervé. He's probably in the lab right now. You know, <laughs> shout out to cheese souffle. <laughs> Just making souffles. All right, last question. Um, where does the most classic dish of them all, the Caesar salad, originate from? All right, again, contentious debate, but I'm going to say Mexico. Correct. Oh my god! According to HuffPo, which. You know, we shouldn't have even mentioned HuffPo in this show. Um, the Italian-American Caesar Cardini invented the dish in 1924 in Tijuana. Which, do you know why? No. So Tijuana apparently used to be where I think most of either like Las Vegas or people in L.A. would go to like party mm-hmm. and rage because it was more bang for their buck. So all like the Hollywood high rollers, all the gamblers would go there. And so at some point it it was an American who basically like went in and was like, Hey, I want a salad that has this and that. And they were like, what? (laughs) Hold on a second. And I think that they basically made it on the fly. I'm paraphrasing here, but anyway, it's it's like kind of, it's kind of Italianifying mayonnaise. It's like, I want a salad with cheese on it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't though? Delicious. I am am a huge fan. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, that's trivia, and that's our show. Thanks once again to our guest, Helen Holliman. Thank you. Thank you to Hannah Forden and Jordan Werner for co-hosting with me today. Thank you to David Tadashore, our stalwart engineer. Stalwart. Stalwart. Wart. Thanks to Liz Mystic, who helped Jordan produce today's show. And finally, congrats to our executive director and co-host of HR and Happy Hour, Katie Mosman-Wadler, on her upcoming <laughs> wedding this Saturday. Mazel tov, Katie! <laughs> Um, our theme song, which is extra fitting for today, is Suns Out, Guns Out by Concord America. And we will be back in September. Happy summer.
listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. 